peace be with you. When our dear Lord, risen, speaks those words to the apostles, this great sense of peace must have rushed into their hearts. They were behind locked doors, not just physically, but spiritually. They were fearful of the Jewish authorities. They were confused, trying to understand all the different things that had happened since Holy Thursday evening all the way through that Easter Sunday morning. So when our Lord said, Peace be with you, this wonderful door to their own heart must have been opened, and they were filled with his infinite merciful love. Keep in mind that in the Hebrew language, the word peace is shalom. Our English doesn't quite translate the word well. For the Jewish people, shalom was a perfection, a completion, an order to something that has become disordered. So no more disorderedness, but rather an order, a purpose, a completeness in one's life. This is the peace that our dear Lord has offered to the apostles and to us. So St. Paul writes, God is not a God of disorder, but peace. By our Lord's cross and resurrection, he has brought peace to a world that had become disordered by sin. He has conquered suffering, sin, death itself. He has brought the graced peace to our own hearts. Yes, even though the world outside of us may be still disordered at times, within, in the doorway into our heart, that sacred home, he can bring us peace. So again, St. Paul writes, It pleased God to make absolute fullness reside in him, and by means of him to reconcile everything to his person, both on earth and in the heavens, making peace through the blood of his cross. So our Lord, risen and glorified, shares that peace with his apostles. Notice, though, he still has his wound marks to remind us why he came into this world and what he has done. He has those wound marks to remind us that our sins wound him, but he can bring healing. So consider what happens next. We hear Jesus breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. What sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Here is the sacrament of penance. Our Lord recognizes that poor human beings that we are, although he has accomplished this passion, death, and resurrection and restored this order of grace, we at times will still fall to sin. We become disordered. The world around us becomes disordered because of our sin. But he can still restore that peace. And personally to us, through that sacrament of penance. So here is the great sacrament. And our Lord entrusts this sacrament to his apostles, his priests, whom he ordained on Holy Thursday evening at the Last Supper, and to whom he said, 
at the Holy Eucharist, do this in remembrance of me. So for the same reason, the priest is a mediator of the sacrament. Christ works through him. So whenever we go to confession and we unburden our souls, we're really opening our door of the soul to our Lord. When we hear the words of absolution, Christ is saying those words through his priest. And he says to us, may God give you pardon and peace, and I absolve you of your sins. How wonderful. The order of grace is once again restored. So we always have to keep the door of our soul open to our Lord. When we sin, he even knocks, trying to inspire us to be reconciled, to go to confession. So here we have a Lord who never gives up on us. And we must never give up on ourselves. He wants us to live in his peace. Now what about poor Thomas? For whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there on that Easter Sunday evening. When the apostles tell him, the Lord is risen, and perhaps other disciples even told him, the Lord is risen, he doesn't believe. It's not as though they would lie to him. He must have remembered that Jesus even said, I am going to suffer and die, but rise again. What is his problem? His problem is himself. A big capital I. I. I will not believe unless I touch, unless I see, unless I feel. All about I. Well, our Lord doesn't give up on St. Thomas either. He doesn't say, well, snooze you lose, go away you hard-headed fool. Rather, in a way, he pounds on that door of his heart and he appears once again. And he says to Thomas, put your hand to my side. One of my favorite paintings that depicts this scene is by the great artist Caravaggio, who lived in the year 1600. And he shows our Lord, the risen Lord, guiding Thomas's hand into his very side, Jesus's side. And Thomas's eyes are these wide open eyes. One has to wonder, what was Thomas seeing? Was he seeing his own sins? Was he seeing the sins of the world that Jesus had died for? I think so. And what was he feeling? Was he feeling our Lord's beating heart filled with love for him? I think so. Thomas responds by profoundly saying, My Lord and my God. And so, my brothers and sisters, our Lord allows all of this to prove to us again that he is risen. We don't have the benefit of that first Easter Sunday experience, but we have the benefit of the lived faith of all those who've gone before us. And we have the benefit of knowing a risen Lord is with us. Think of our very first passage from Acts of the Apostles. These are the early weeks of the church. So the church is very small. We see a very communal kind of church where the believers are living together. But what are they doing? They're living in the presence of a risen Savior. They're doing this by, as we heard, praying. 
meditating on the sacred scriptures, listening to the teachings of the apostles, celebrating the sacraments. When we hear breaking of the bread, it's like that code word for the Mass. And they're doing the good corporal and spiritual works of mercy, taking care of each other. The beauty is, because of that lived life existence of faith in a risen Lord, we conclude the passage with, great numbers were added to them daily. Well, from there, we do know that the apostles did go out, and they carried the message. And they knew Jesus was with them. Why else would they go to these foreign countries, pagan peoples, even face martyrdom, the worst kinds of tortures, and not have any fear? Because inside, they had that peace of heart. They knew the risen Christ was with them. Always. Even consider St. Thomas. He went all the way to India, preaching the gospel where he was martyred. Yes, the Romans had the trade routes with India, so... Not unthinkable. He was there. We even have parishioners in our own parish whose families are from India, and they can trace their family spiritual heritage back to the legacy of St. Thomas, and their parish is the church that St. Thomas founded, and we could say the diocese that they have is the diocese St. Thomas founded. The church is still here because the risen Christ is here. So my brothers and sisters, when we look at this then, we have to open our hearts always to the infinite mercy of a risen Lord who is with us each day. For good reason then, given all of this, our dear Holy Father, Pope St. John Paul II, now of course with our Lord in heaven, declared this Sunday Divine Mercy Sunday, in the year 2000, the year of the new millennium. He did so because he saw how sin creates such woundedness in our lives and in the lives of so many other people. He saw how sin brings disorder to this world and therefore shatters any hope of peace. For instance, during his life, in the very early days of his life, early years, he knew the horrors of World War I. And then came the horrors of Nazism and communism, atheistic kinds of movements, trying to eliminate God in the life of the people. And then there were the whole host of horrors from World War II and all the atrocities, everything from mass destruction warfare to concentration camps. And then even in his own present day and age, 1990s, he talked about how the world had turned into a culture of death instead of a culture of life. So many people had closed the doors to their hearts, keeping Christ out. He knew the only way to bring real peace was for every person to open that door of the heart and allow the risen Savior to be present and allow that risen Savior truly to be the Lord and God. So on this Divine Mercy Sunday, we implore the Lord's mercy, especially considering the time we're in. 
with this whole coronavirus and all the aspects that is caused to change our own lives. We must understand, though, the fullness of what this is about. I think that too many preachers, priests, are missing a very important aspect. While we are praying to the Lord for help, we have to remember our Lord's knocking at our door. One of the spiritual works of mercy is admonish the sinner. I think our Lord through this, and perhaps other ways, is admonishing us to repent, to open our doors to him. In the Old Testament, we find this very often. The Jewish people settled in the promised land so easily, so often, forgot the covenant, broke the commandments, worshipped false gods, even sacrificing their own children to these gods. Yes, they still had their cultural practices of religion, go to the temple for this and that and so on, but they lost the presence of God in their lives. The prophets were sent to wake them up, to knock on those doors to their hearts, but they refused. And so destruction did come, be it foreign powers who conquered other ways, but in all, God was admonishing them to repent. And they did. King Hezekiah, who lived about the year 600, a very good king, having seen what had happened, wrote this, Israelites, return to the Lord, that he may return to you. Be not faithless, be not obstinate. Serve the Lord, that he may turn his burning anger from you. For when you return to the Lord, you will find mercy. For merciful and compassionate is the Lord your God, and he will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. So in many ways, I think, especially during this time, you and I need to look and see that God is knocking on our door. As a matter of fact, he's pounding on it with his fist. It's time for us to open the door. For consider how we've closed our hearts. For instance, we have placed our trust in things like financial securities, trusts, and bonds. Well, we see what's happened in the past few weeks with all of that. Our only security is with Christ. Our only trust has to be rooted in Christ. And our only bond is in the covenant of life and love that Jesus gave to us through his cross and resurrection. We've seen how priorities have become truly misconstrued. Our own governor in Virginia thinks that grocery stores, banks, pharmacies, liquor stores, abortion clinics are essential to our life, and they're open. But churches aren't. Mayor de Blasio of New York even said if churches opened on Easter, he would close them permanently. Imagine I was in Home Depot yesterday to buy some gardening things for my mom, filled with people, and not all people had masks on, not even all the clerks had masks on. But we can't have our church open, can we? Sad to say that so many of our leaders have closed the door to God. And we've considered the unborn child simply a matter of choice and want. So if we want the child 
then that child's a baby. But if we don't, then we eliminate that child so that we can live the way we want to. A child is a precious gift from God. Isn't it sad that in Virginia we have had 231 people die of this coronavirus, as best I know as of yesterday? Isn't it sadder that last year almost 20,000 unborn children were killed by abortion, by those clinics that are, that are deemed so essential to our lives? And then we've deemed it merciful now to eliminate those who are the elderly, the sick, the disabled. We call it physician-assisted death. Nice way to put a spin on physician-assisted suicide or a spin on simply killing those who are, invulnerable, are vulnerable instead of showing compassion, sharing in the suffering, taking care of that person in most need and helping that person prepare for that final journey to everlasting life. Yes, and we've allowed ourselves to be measured by function and output. We have to do what everyone else does. So no longer is Sunday God's Day where we take time to worship God, to rest, to have family time. No, Sundays become the day for extra work. Go shopping. Do the sports because you have to do the sports with everyone else. Listen to the coach if he has the practice and so on instead of letting it be God's day. We've allowed ourselves to be isolated because of technology. We live with technology, but we don't have to isolate ourselves even from loved ones, breaking that family bond that is so essential. Before all this coronavirus started, I was with my mom at a restaurant, just one of our local places in Springfield, and there was a family, two parents, two young children, and grandma. All four were on their cell phone, and poor grandma was there eating by herself in isolation. And that's what my mom said, poor grandma. And then, too, we've allowed greed to control our hearts, too. Yes, we're worried about that bottom line. So we've shipped manufacturing over to countries that have slave labor so we can make an extra bit of money. Not worrying about the workers at home, not, working, not worrying about our national security. Yes, we've closed our hearts to the Lord, to his mercy. So our Lord is pounding at our hearts, pounding on that door and saying, everyone in America, in this world, Open your heart back to me and live in my mercy. We've seen the good too. And that's what's most important. We've also seen great good from all of this. For instance, we have our live streaming. Now, it's not quite like regular mass, but nevertheless, we're touching many people across this country. We have people watching this mass that I've heard of who live in Washington State people who live in London, England. That's amazing. I've had two emails this week from people saying, I'm not Catholic, but I'd like to know more about the Catholic Church. I watched your live streaming Mass. The door is beginning to open. And we've seen families grow stronger 
as a family, even in my mom's neighborhood in Springfield. You now see parents with their little children out on the front lawn. They're playing ball, they're riding the bicycle, all kinds of things. That's the way family life ought to be. We've seen our president on Good Friday pray with a Bishop Baker of a Protestant church. How wonderful it was to have our president and a representative of God pray. Pray with us as a nation. I don't think that's happened since World War II. It's about time. And then we have also an awareness for our neighbors, thinking about those who are the elderly or those who are alone, asking them, is there anything I can do to help you? So much good has come. And we look at our own lives even, we could say, probably because of this, we're less wasteful. We're more frugal. We're more appreciative of what we have. So yes, great good. The little door is opening back to the presence of God. The presence of our risen Lord in our own lives. So when we think about the terminology of reopening the economy and so on, that's all good. But we have to remember this is a time to reopen the doors of our hearts. So on this Divine Mercy Sunday, let's remember that Jesus says to each one of us this very day, visually we can see him with his wound marks, but his glorious risen self, saying to us, peace be with you. Open your heart. Allow me to dwell within your heart, for I love you beyond your imagining. We, in turn, have to say, my Lord and my God, Jesus, I trust in you. May God bless you.